Welcome to Equipping the Persecuted Radio, sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. I'm your host, Pastor Sam, and in today's episode, we have an exciting conversation planned with the founder and president of Equipping the Persecuted, none other than Judd Saul. And Judd, how are you doing today? I know you're an award-winning director. You've, you're a missionary, a political activist. I mean, what do you do in your free time? How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I actually got uh, about 10 minutes of rest the other day. It was great. Wow, a whole 10 <laughs> minutes? <laughs> no, no. I mean, really, you, you do a lot, though, because uh, I, I think about uh, you just got done directing a, a film, Enemies Within the Church, and uh, you're a political activist. You, you've got other things going on, but, but probably your main thing right now is equipping the persecuted. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of people ask, you know, they just... Some people know me as different things. It's like they know me as uh, Judd, the you know the film director, uh, the guy that directed you know um, Enemies Within the Church, uh, the film Enemies Within, and various video projects. But what a lot of people in that area don't know about me is that uh, I've been going to Nigeria uh, over the last twelve years. For twelve years, you've been going to Nigeria. Yes, I've been uh, been doing missions in Nigeria for over twelve years. And just because I have things going on in the United States and film projects that we have to do, that um, that has never stopped my call and my mission in Nigeria. Yeah. Now, so you've been doing this for twelve years, but equipping the persecuted isn't twelve years old. So, what is the history of equipping the persecuted? So, I was working with another missions organization uh, when I first went to Nigeria in two thousand nine, and. Um, I just had a heart for the Nigerian people, had a heart for uh, supporting uh, the Christians out there. And over the years, uh, as, as a lot of people know or don't know, is that persecution against Christians has been on the rise uh, over the last decade uh, because Islam has been coming in and encroaching from the north on the Christians in the south, and they gained more and more territory. And when I mean persecution, they're, they're killing Christians and eliminating villages. And uh, as my work with the other ministry, you know, I was doing things with them and I kept on seeing this need um, for persecuted Christians that I I saw a lot of other ministries ignoring. Yes, so that's a really interesting thing. Let's let's back up, though, just a little bit. You were talking a little bit about the dynamic of Nigeria. Now, Nigeria, you mentioned that there's there's Muslims in the north and Christians in the south. Correct. And, And there used to be a lot more Christians in the north. But they have either been taken over, uh, killed, uh, or being pushed further uh, to the south. Or in a lot of instances, when what most people don't know is that when Muslims take over a territory and they gain a majority of the population, uh, the Christians are pretty much subservient to the Muslims. Now, is that because they like institute uh, their type of laws, or or what, what is the the reason for that? So, um, in Nigeria, they have. Their own the Muslims have their own Sharia law. They have their own Sharia courts that work in conjunction with the Nigerian government. So it's almost like there's kind of two sets of systems in play. But the uh, Muslims have incorporated Sharia law, so they have their own courts and their own system in the way they do things. Plus the Nigerian government. Yeah, and, and I know in Nigeria it's a little bit of a different culture than in the United States. Um, things things are maybe I, I mean. Not that the United States isn't corrupt in its government system, but it's a little bit more blatantly corrupt in Nigeria. And so 
Uh, d- does that kind of play into how the Muslims going to take that over once they begin get popularity there or a populace uh, in an area? So once they gain pop, once they gain a certain population, then they know they have the political maneuvering, and then they can do whatever they want. Before, so how Islam operates is just let's say um, it's a small Muslim community, and then there's a majority cult- culture that's not Muslim. They'll go in uh, and and do business, get along. Hey, we're moving here. Everything's fine and dandy. But once they get to a certain population point, then it becomes violent. Then they become violent and they, and they take over politically and that not just take over politically, they dominate everything. And so in that dominance and in that violence that comes out, what are some of the things that they've, they've done uh, that, that made you say, hey, we need this kind of ministry of equipping the persecuted? Well, essentially, uh, uh, when you have Muslim law, Sharia law, Muslim courts, and Muslim dominance, uh, then you have what you consider the more radical types that believe it's, it's okay to go and kill other people and take their land and territory by force. And that is what they are now doing. So uh, they're, they're now conquering territory through terrorism. So they're okay. So, so does this mean that uh, that they're not just staying to the north, but they're starting to move down as much as they can and conquer they're, and take they're, whatever they're, they can? They're, they're moving down south. So, Sam, imagine it this way, okay? Let's say you have a, a big city. You know, we're 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 both from you know both from Iowa. We're you know. So it's um, hard to imagine a big city. It's hard to imagine a big city, but imagine uh, you know like like an Omaha, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, they will never come in and attack a place like Omaha. Okay. Okay. You know, from, from that end. But what they will do is they'll go pick off the smaller towns surrounding an Omaha. Okay. They'll go in and they'll try to gain strength by attacking a place like Council Bluffs. Mm-hmm. But they won't go into the big city because they know they can't get in and get enough penetration. But they will attack the small towns of 1,000, 2,000, 3,000 people and, and start doing more terrorist activities in some of the larger areas, but they will never go into the center until they have enough population and force then to take over the whole city. So uh, what our ministry is doing right now is we are helping really with immediately um, these villages that are attacked um, inside of the outskirts of some of these towns, like, for instance, like Kaduna City or uh, the, the towns that are outside of Jos, Nigeria. Um, where you have villagers of a thousand, two thousand people, when all of a sudden they come in, they wipe everything out, wipe out their village, uh, kill a bunch of people, and they're no longer allowed to come back to their towns or land. So then they're left to these what they call internal displacement camps, where they have nothing. They, I mean, it's like they left with the clothes on their backs, and that's all they have. They can't even go back and get their belongings, otherwise they'll get killed by the terrorists. All right. So, so equipping the persecuted. If, if I'm getting this straight here. There's this persecution in Nigeria, and of course Nigeria is one of the most persecuted countries in, in the United or in the United States in the world. Excuse me. And what you guys come in to do is that after this persecution happens, you go and you bring aid, and then of course you also bring aid to these IDP or internally displaced persons camps. Correct. So you know these are people that literally have nothing, um, and the government really doesn't do it hardly barely anything for these people. So they're trying to, so imagine everything you have, everything you own is gone. How are you going to get food? How are you going to survive? How are you going to take care of your surviving loved ones? What are you going to do for an income and a living? And so we go in, we try to help these guys out within 48 hours after an attack with medical, with food aid. In certain instances, we find survivors from attacks that were too afraid to come out of the bush that have bullet wounds that have wounds from the attacks that haven't been treated. And we find them, we bring them into hospitals and try to get them help. 
Um, so since we started equipping the persecuted about two and a half years ago, it's just as we see further needs, our ministry grows. All right. Well, I hate to cut you off right there, but we're going to have to go and take a break here pretty soon. But I want to go and really talk to you about what you do in these uh, IDP camps and how you help out these Christians. All right. Well, join us back as we come back from break. God's Word tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Truly, sin is a mark of America today. Every second, 28,000 people are watching pornography. Since 1973, over 65 million babies have been slaughtered on the altar of convenience through abortion, and 70% of millennials are likely to vote for a socialist. Sin truly abounds and is a reproach to our nation. But how do we get back on track and be exalted by God once again? Hi, I'm Pastor Sam Jones, and I've written a new book that traces the steps of America's fall and gives us a road to redemption. It's called Five Steps to Kill a Nation and How to Stop the Bleeding. You can get a copy of the book at theshininglightministries.com. Welcome to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. I'm your host, Pastor Sam, and today we have Judd Saul, the president and uh, founder of Equipping the Persecuted. And so far, we've been talking quite a bit about what's what's been going on uh, in in what you guys do and how you help people out and Christians out in Nigeria. And you were just telling us what you do in these IDP camps and how you go and you actually find people who are hiding uh, in the bush and uh, and they were hiding because they were injured and they've been uh, internally displaced from their homes. And so you're bringing them aid. Uh, what, what does that aid look like? Okay, so uh, the, the needs are uh, primarily uh, food, mm-hmm. clothing, blankets, and, uh, and assistance with shelter and, and medicine. So we, um, we have a local team that, we, that, uh, that we've uh, put together over the last couple of years. We've got some doctors, local doctors we work with. They say, say here's an attack, and I say, okay, evaluate the situation. What do, what do you guys need? And they tell me, we need medicine, we need this much food, we need this much rice, we need this and this and this. And I say, if we have the resources, we, uh, we put the thing together and say, here it is. All right, here it is, guys. Go buy the supplies, go make the delivery. Um, you know, uh, we also have to look into situation, uh, uh, security situation, what it's, going, what, what it's going to cost our team to have security move with them so they can get into some of these places safely mm-hmm. and um yeah but uh we go in right away and uh we got brave men and women on the ground that risk their lives every day to go help to go help out their fellow nigerians and all we do is equipping the persecuted we help empower them and help them get the resources they need now now, now scripture tells us that greater love has no man than to lay down one's life for his brother and so mm-hmm. it sounds to me like that is the love that you guys are embodying as people are going and risking their life to go and to help out their neighbor who is in need. Now, that's the love of Christ. Now, is is there, uh, I know that there is a spiritual aspect to this, obviously, but, uh, but, but tell us about the spiritual aspect, how that comes in and how that works. We are called to take care of our own. Mm-hmm. Us Christians, one of, one of the duties of Christians and an example of Christianity is to take care of our fellow brothers and sisters in need. 
Especially the household of faith. Especially right? within the household of faith. Not just not just the poor and widows and orphans outside Christianity, but first and foremost, what kind of example do we set as Christians if we don't take care of our own that are in the most need? That, that, I mean, they're not a good example at all. In fact, that would really hurt the testimony. It, it, it hurts the testimony. So, so, the, so here's, what, here's what happens. So we have people that, like any, anywhere else, they might be nominal Christians or maybe call themselves Christians that aren't really Christian. And, and they've suffered attacks. They've suffered these things. But let me tell you what happens. When we come in with aid, when they think the world's forgotten about them and no one cares, and we come in with aid and we present the gospel, we present the gospel of Jesus Christ to them, it is amazing how many we come to how many people are renewed in their faith, but they also come to know Christ. We've seen many come to know Christ through this effort, and not only that, surrounding communities, people on the outskirts, even Muslims, have seen what we have done and come to know Christ because they saw the care and the love that we showed for our fellow brothers and sisters in this situation. Wow! Praise the Lord! And you know that sounds a lot like the Book of Acts, where uh, we're, we're literally. Uh, churches are taking care of one another. In fact, I think of when the when deacon, the office of deacon, was first established in in, in Acts chapter uh, six, and it, it was that the widows and orphans within their own community were being taken care of. Then the word of God abounded and it spread, and many came to Christ. And so these two things are really connected. Uh, Judd, where, where can people find uh, more out about this this ministry? We got more we want to talk about, but I want to make sure we uh, we, we tell people where to go. Okay, so we have a website, www.equippingthepersecuted.org, www.equippingthepersecuted.org. And then we also have a Facebook group that we encourage people to join. Uh, it's facebook.com slash group slash equipping the persecuted. Um, and we have to monitor uh, who we let in the group, who we don't let in the group, mm-hmm. because uh, we, we've had Nigerians that don't like what we're doing, monitor our activities. So some of the things we put out, uh, uh, is very kind of vague in general because, uh, we have people that don't like what we're doing that are trying to hurt our efforts in Nigeria. So some of the stuff we do is, is undercover and we can't talk a lot, talk about some of those things publicly, but what we can't talk about publicly, we share on our Facebook group and we'll, we try to update the website as much as we can. That is great. Now, one of the things I love about this, because it's equipping the persecuted, but it's not just equipping the persecuted um, after the attack. It's not just that you guys come up and you're like, okay, we're waiting for you to get persecuted, and then we're going to do something. One of the things that you guys have been doing is putting up these towers. Uh, yes. the, these, I, I don't know, I'd call them like defense towers. What, what would you call them? And, and explain uh, how this is, is useful and helpful in mitigating these, these Muslim attacks. Okay, so we, we have to, we're not just there to render aid after an attack happens. We're, we're, we also try to implement preventative measures. So one of the things that I've noticed over the last couple of years is that not one missions agency, um, no real other, no other entity has gone to, uh, essentially they have village security teams, okay, mm-hmm. which are volunteers. They've, they're, they're government recognized security teams to oversee their village. But they have no equipment. They have no training. None. They, they, they don't have any security awareness skills. So um, we've been working on giving them security awareness training, but also helping them, um, you know, respond when an emergency happens. How do you handle trauma? How do you handle a victim? How do you handle things? What are, what are some tactics you can use to save the most lives if an attack comes to your village? 
And uh, we've seen that already proved to be very useful. And one of the common sense things we came up with was village alarm system. Okay, and these are these yeah. towers. That so, I see. so, so we 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 put up these towers in a you know big alarm system, and it uh, it's activated either by a remote or push button. And if an attack happens or there's some trouble coming along the way, it's like we have in our town. You know, we have tornado alarms yep. or or weather alarm systems. Well, towns and villages in Nigeria don't have these. Right, right. They don't have they don't have basic they don't have basic village alarm systems. Uh, for any scenario, so we've been putting them in in, in some of these hard hit areas, and so uh, they can hear them up to a couple miles away, and they're able to they're able to run, they're able to evacuate. Yeah, and, and so this this actually ends up going and mitigating a lot of the damage, and, and probably actually literally saving lives. We, yeah, and we have already sa- we have already saved lives because of it, and also because of that alarm, it was able to rally people to put up a stand against some attacks and they have thwarted off some attacks just by simply having a village alarm system. Wow. Praise the Lord. I mean, it's a simple thing. Like you said, now I wouldn't have thought of it, but, but it's a simple thing. It's, it's common sense. It's, it's really common sense. And, but coming at it, you know, from a very practical point of view, how can we empower these people? How can we, how can we help them, um, you know, not just address a bad situation, but how can we prevent some of these situations from happening? And it's not rocket science, it's common sense, but we, I haven't seen any other missions organization in Nigeria doing this kind of thing. And I started asking around, said, hey, is anybody teaching you guys basic security skills, security awareness? And overwhelming no. And so since we brought this in, man, these men and women are in tears that someone cares enough to show them these things. Yeah, and, and when you're talking about basic security measures, you're talking about things like having communication, having uh, oh, yeah, yeah. long-distance walkie-talkies. Yeah, yeah we, we provide long, long-range long two-way radios for different security teams to communicate with. Uh, we've assisted in uh, helping them uh, um, make locally sourced bulletproof vests uh, for the security teams. Now, we don't get into the weapon side of things. We can't get into that. Um, that that's just one area we can't touch. Mm-hmm. But we can help them with other things. And we help them with as much we can help them with legally and, uh, you know, to go <laughs> to help them go as far as they can go. Right now. Uh, and I mean, just to put it in perspective, too, because I, I was reading a couple stories, I think, from your newsletter and, and things like that that you uh, get, which, by the way, I assume you can sign up for that newsletter at equipping the persecuted.org. Once again, it's equipping the persecuted.org. Make sure you go there and sign up for the newsletter. Uh, yeah. But I mean, this is real danger that I noticed because there are stories coming back with your vehicles having bullet holes in them. Yeah. I mean, th- this is this isn't just you know oh some some fake danger or something like that, but it's it's real danger. People are really putting their lives on the line in order a lot of times to go into rescue people. Right. Um, I, in fact, when we come back, I, I, I want if it's okay with you, I'd love to hear the story and have the the audience hear the story of the the lady who was rescued her 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 family her children and her husband were, were running out and she was a pastor's wife mm-hmm. and she was uh, essentially left for dead and, and i would love for you to tell that story uh okay. but before we do that we're going to go on break and so remember uh while you're on break here 
go and check out equippingthepersecuted.org. Equippingthepersecuted.org. Now, not if you're driving, you know, wait until you park after that. But but if you're at a red light or as soon as you get home, go to equippingthepersecuted.org because this is a ministry you're going to want to follow because it is a true boots-on-the-ground ministry that's doing things for Jesus Christ, changing the lives of people, and literally saving physical lives as they bring the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's an incredible ministry. We'll be right back after uh, a quick break. God's Word tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Truly, sin is a mark of America today. Every second, 28,000 people are watching pornography. Since 1973, over 65 million babies have been slaughtered on the altar of convenience through abortion, and 70% of millennials are likely to vote for a socialist. Sin truly abounds and is a reproach to our nation. But how do we get back on track and be exalted by God once again? Hi, I'm Pastor Sam Jones, and I've written a new book that traces the steps of America's fall and gives us a road to redemption. It's called Five Steps to Kill a Nation and How to Stop the Bleeding. You can get a copy of the book at theshininglightministries.com. All right, welcome to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. I'm your host, Pastor Sam, and today uh, we have Judd Saul, the president and founder of Equipping the Persecuted. And once again, you can go to his website at equippingthepersecuted.org. And Judd, uh, I, I wanted you to tell us the story about this pastor's wife who uh, your team rescued and, uh, in, in, from a really dangerous situation. So... Um uh, a pastor friend of ours um, was the was the product of a, an attempted kidnapping, and um, they had a little trouble trying to break through their gate, and they were woken up and kind of realized the situation, and um, the uh, pastor and his wife and kids um, went through another area on, on the top of their roof to try to jump over a big fence and embankment with barbed wire, okay? And the pastor and the kids made it, like made it out to run away. She got caught on the barbed wire, mm -hmm. fell and, and broke her leg uh, in the process. Um, they shot up the place, ransacked, I mean, ransacked the house. And they, then they came around, they found her. But for some miracle, they weren't able to get her onto the bikes because she had broken her leg. She was immobile. And they tried, they tried grabbing her and kidnapping her, and they found it to be too difficult, and they, and they went away. And um, well, One of the few times you could say that it's providential that somebody broke yeah, her leg. Yeah, providential that she broke her leg. And so um, our team went to the area, found her, laying on the ground, rescued her, got her into the hospital. We paid for the, we paid for the surgery to um help fix her leg but because he he's a he's he's a big target and the family is a big target we got the funds together to relocate them into a safer spot into a safer spot and a safer area 
Um, and that's a thing with these situations is, is sometimes you, if once they're a target and they're kind of gone after you have to, if they don't get them, we've got to move them around in certain areas and they need help getting around, getting around to different areas to find a, eventually find a place where they're safe. Now, now why, why was he a target? He's a pastor. He was, he was, he was a prominent pastor that was speaking out against their activities. So, and they didn't like it. So, so pastors are targets in Nigeria. If you if you if you're a pastor, especially in the Middle Belt or anywhere north, you have a big target on your back, and they love killing pastors. Wait, wait, wait. Now, now by killing pastors, you're you're being literal here, right? I'm being very literal, very very literal. They like to kill pastors, and um, it, it's a big prize to them if they end up killing a pastor. Now, does does that cause? Um Obviously, I mean, a lot of heartbreak and, in, uh, I mean, destruction, but th- th- this seems like there would be a, a ministry opportunity there. Uh, is there a ministry opportunity? Not, Of course, not that you, you, you want to see this happen, uh, but where Equipping the Persecuted steps in? We, we do step in, and, he, and we try to embolden existing pastors up in that area. Um, when a church is destroyed and a pastor survives, we give them money to rebuild the church. Wow. And we have we give them the money to rebuild the church. We say, okay, you need a new roof. Here's money for a new roof. Need Bibles? All the chairs, all the instru- all the instruments in your church have been burned up and destroyed. Here's five hundred dollars. Here's a thousand dollars towards your church, and that goes a long way in a Nigerian church, folks. And let me just let me explain something to Pastor Sam yeah. so the people understand what church is like in Nigeria. Yeah, dirt floors. Okay. Their electricity for the church is most of the time run off of a very, very antiquated generator just to power for the church service. There are no windows in the church other than holes in the, like square holes in the walls. Mm -hmm. Uh, Barely a roof. And they have, you know, the cheapest whatever plastic chairs they can find for people to kind of to sit in their congregation and, and uh, area. And a lot of people will share Bibles because there's not enough and not everyone has their own Bible. Okay, so I'm, I'm just trying to paint a picture of, of a church in mm-hmm. these areas in Nigeria. It's not luxurious. They don't have air conditioning. They don't have, they don't have giant sound systems, fog machines, or uh, some of the glitz and glamour. But yet the Word of God is still preached. The Word of God is still preached. And think, think about it. $500 goes a long way to help put a new tin roof over a church there. Yeah. Wow. That I, I mean, that, that really would go a, a long way there. Now... Uh, speaking of that, I, I'm sure if you've been listening here, your heart has been touched by this ministry, Equipping the Persecuted. I, I know my heart has been touched. And we can you can go to equippingthepersecuted.org, and that's a, a place where you can go and donate and give there. And I would uh, tell you, I mean, after you, know, after you give to your local church, this is one of those real ministries that is good to give to. In fact, another thing uh, that you guys do is you sponsor widows. So some of these pastors, they don't have the ability to rebuild the church because these pastors are actually uh, killed for their faith. They are, are martyrs. They are heroes of the faith. Mm-hmm. But they leave back behind a, a wife and, and children uh, many times. What are you guys doing for those, those families? So we have um, on our support rolls now about 25 widows whose Husbands were pastors that have been murdered, and we provide them monthly support. We help pay for their kids' school fees. 
uh, and we just give them a little bit of extra money to live uh, based on the little resources we have. I mean, we're spread pretty thin on a lot of things, but widow support is a thing we've committed to every month. The Bible calls us to take care of our own, especially the ones that are in need that are in the household of faith. And this, this and like I said, um, I, I haven't found any other ministries really doing this at the scale we're doing this. This is not me going on the ground. It's not just, it's not my ministry. All right. I work with people on the ground that are doing the dirty work mm -hmm. every day and day in and day out. And we're a ministry that helps empower them. Wow. And that's, I mean, you think about that, that's really the idea of going and loving your neighbor, of going and in, in, in giving uh, a part of what God has given you in sharing it generously with your neighbor, seeking for the spiritual reconciliation, but also seeking to save others' lives. Well, Judd, as we're uh, getting near the end here of our time uh, on this show, is, is there anything that you want our listeners to know today? I want fellow Christians out there to look at your current situation, okay, and, and be very grateful for what you have. And be very grateful for what God has given you. And I'm I'm I, I'm not trying to be uh, um, pleading and begging, but I'm saying if you if you guys have something extra to spare for your fellow brothers and Christian fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that are in the most need, this is a ministry that I highly recommend you give to. And you know, just think for that little Starbucks latte a day you could really impact the life of a persecuted Christian if you sacrificed a one Starbucks coffee a day. Wow, just for one Starbucks coffee a day, you could go and change someone's life and perhaps even their eternal life. Well, for Equipping the Persecuted Radio, I'm your host, Pastor Sam. And remember, we're sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. And if you want to get into contact with us, go ahead and email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. Once again, that's equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. And go ahead and support Equipping the Persecuted at equippingthepersecuted.org. Keep standing for the truth. <laughs>